0: What's it like to be a movie reviewer? Do you ever get tired of having to deal with all that nasty stuff in movies today? Hey everyone, Adam Holtz here, your host for the Plugged In Show. Focus on the family's weekly conversation about entertainment, pop culture, and technology. Thanks for joining us today. You know, when I tell people about my job at Plugged In, they generally have a lot of questions. And at the top of the list is the one I just mentioned. What's it like to be a movie reviewer? Most folks initially think, that sounds pretty great. And admittedly, it it is maybe a little bit of a cushy job. It's not like we're out breaking our backs, digging ditches or anything like that. But when I mentioned that I might take 50 pages of notes during a movie, that inevitably brings up more questions about how our team works to keep you informed about what's happening in popular culture. So today, our Plugged In team is going to talk a little bit about some of the questions we get most frequently from people who are curious about the inner workings of things. So grab a drink, a comfy chair, and settle in for a peek behind the curtain at what we do to bring you reviews week in and week out. Joining me for our conversation today are...
1: Emily Clark. Paul Acey. Kristen Smith.
2: And Jonathan McKee.
0: Well, we all have dreams about what we're going to be when we grow up. And if someone had told you when you were 12 what you were going to be doing today, reviewing and critiquing pop culture for others, what would you have thought?
1: I think that... 12-year-old Emily would be a little disappointed that I didn't become a Jedi Knight.
0: Right on.
1: (laughs) Um... No, but seriously, I um, I think at that time, at that age, I still held on to this fanciful idea that I was going to be a singer and an actress. And, you know, until I grew up and reality struck. <laughs> um, that's
3: really more a of a... trip <laughs> to
0: the ER and, and then live the rest of your life, right? <laughs> no, that
1: was really more of a community theater hobby type thing, not a, hey, let's get famous type thing. No, uh, I don't think she'd be too, too disappointed because... 12-year-old me definitely still really loved movies and TV. Um, So, yeah, I I think it's kind of a not quite a thumbs up, but not quite a thumbs down, somewhere in the middle.
2: All right. Well, uh, I think twelve-year-old Jonathan, um, when he wasn't getting beat up in the locker room by a oh, bunch of bullies, um, goodness, Jonathan. And which, by the way, let me let me name them. First of all, there was this <laughs> one kid named. Okay, we aren't going to go. there. It's not that kind but, of yeah, meeting, no, Jonathan. I, think, I, I mean, <laughs> let's be honest. Movies were a fun escape for me, and uh, I really got into them. And yeah, I was probably the only one of my friends who. You know, when they would name a certain film, I'm like, well, you know, that was directed by, and I would start naming (laughs) that. Or or they would come over to my house to play, and I had like, the sound off on Jaws watching the beach scene, so I could observe Verna Field's <laughs> editing, you know, and try to figure out how I could duplicate oh that reverse zoom shot, you know, oh and stuff. Man. And people were like, dude, and they would beat me up again. Right. Um, so it's all, um, it's all becoming clear now, I think. <laughs> it is, it is. And so, but there was, there, there did, it, it became something that was just fun for me because if somebody, you know, named, you know, hey, there's this new Nick Cage film called Raising Arizona, I'm like, yes, that's directed by the Coen brothers who did Blood Simple. And, and, oh and they goodness. would look at me like, very strange and uh but i enjoyed it because i just thought it was kind of fun to see what artists were doing what and um and yeah so i I think i would have been like that's cool i don't know if i would have been into the 50 pages of notes but uh (laughs) i definitely would have been into let's you know oh to critique movies which of course think about it when, when our age back then the main movie critics were the fat dude and the bald dude, right? You know, and yeah, I've become and, both of them. Oh it's a miracle. Oh. That was it, man. And their job was to sit there and critique movies at the movies. We grew up with yeah, them. They were also so. and Ebert. Yeah, I could have, I could have been either Cisco or Ebert. I think so. Yeah.
3: I don't know if when I was, Oh, I don't know if when I was 12, I would have even thought about this job. I probably wouldn't have believed anybody. I played a ton of sports. I read a lot of books. I didn't watch a lot of TV. I don't even know why I'm a movie reviewer, but here I am. <laughs> no, this is, uh, this is a great job. Life's weird, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. No, I don't even think I would have thought of it.
4: Yeah, I think I was totally prepared for this job. I would, uh, I would sit at the recess and I'd count profanities from my classmates. <laughs> you do little hash marks in the, the sand. If I was in Jonathan's school, I would have looked at him getting beat up and I would have said, "That's violent content right there, buddy." <laughs> no. <laughs>
0: But th- you're on your own.
4: <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think I wanted to be a, a private detective actually when I was younger, hmm. and so I think that the idea that I would have gotten into this crazy, crazy business that we're in would have been a little off script for me. But as it turns out, it turns out all right.
0: I yeah, see. When I was 12, I think I was still at the tail end of, you know, the little kid dreams of being a fighter pilot or an astronaut. It's Although. Kind of fun. I had glasses that you could, like, see Mars in full color through. <laughs> so I had already realized I might have been physically disqualified from <laughs> those both of those jobs. <laughs> Mars-colored glasses. But I still, you know, harbored really delightful memories of the $6 million man and, you know, that was a formative okay. influence when I was six, right? Um, and so that really kind of shaped my perception of what I wanted to be.
4: Yeah, no, and I think this a conversation it really illustrates the power of movies, of television, of, of the things that we review to shape how we think and how we feel and even what we want to be. I mean, Private Detective, I never would have thought of that had it not been for TV and movies and astronauts and yeah. singers, you know, whatever. It
1: definitely forms our
4: imagination. It really does. It well, really and there does. were so
0: many of those shows in the late 70s and early 80s you know from kojak to beretta to magnum pi and his
4: yeah i'm not that old so
0: glorious I <laughs> yes you are you, Rem- you remington, steel. Shows. remington steel remington <laughs> steel thank you very much i mean all right this is a separate podcast yes. Fa- favorite private investigator With Everybody shows. over 50 okay and now back to our podcast well you know paul what you're talking about is is why we do what we do at plugged in um we understand that these images, these ideas, these stories, they shape our perception of reality. They shape sometimes our hearts and our souls. And I, I think especially when we're kids, you know, Emily, you mentioned Star Wars, that these these things come in and they shape, you know, our fantasies. And we don't realize till we get a little bit older that it's not necessarily really real. I too want to be a rock star. <laughs> mostly it hasn't worked out this is as close to a microphone as i'm (laughs) mostly (laughs) i'm gonna get right i'm still in a little bit of denial um so each week at plugged in we review movies music tv video games technology because we want to give parents a resource they can use to understand their kids and what they're into and to make wise decisions and uh you know a lot of the time maybe most of the time, we're sitting behind keyboards. We're tapping away. Uh, it's always sort of delightful to take my headphones off and hear the, the clatter of everybody's keys, um, <laughs> which makes me a total nerd, but there you go. Um, and I, I love those fairly rare opportunities when I have a chance to interact with people about Plugged In. And typically, we, we get the same kinds of questions in Q&A sessions, and I thought it would be fun to just take some time with our team today and ask some of those questions and give people a, a better glimpse behind the scenes at what goes on at Plugged In and kind of what it's like to be a plugged in movie reviewer. So let me start there. That was the first question I asked at the outset. And movies aren't the only thing we do, but they're certainly the thing that we're best known for. What is it like to be a movie reviewer for Plugged In?
3: It's different than what I thought it would be when I got hired. Okay. Different uh, how? H- hard-ish. I don't know. <laughs> That's an
0: ABC show, I think. Hard.
3: <laughs> it seems like it wouldn't be that tricky, but I think when I first started, um, it was difficult for me to take notice of all of the detail. I usually, well, I guess prior I would watch shows and just kind of disconnect, maybe text while i was watching it or not really pay attention to like all the details but the more i've you know the longer i've done this job you just pay attention to the small stuff because you're supposed to right so and then it sometimes makes it less enjoyable
1: (laughs) i think that getting acclimated to paying attention to all the details for for some reason i I don't think i struggled as much as you say you struggled. I I mean, I wasn't here when you started, but you were here when I started. Um, I think part of that has to do with the fact that, like, growing up, I've always been kind of an excessive observator. Um, I well, just, and you have a
0: degree in film, too. So yeah. you think so about I, this stuff.
1: I think I was, like, already trained to pay attention to those tiny details. I, you know, I had been trained to pay attention to those details co- because of the aesthetic reasons, but... Paying attention for reasons like, oh, this is, you know, th- there's a cross in the background. So this is a Christian family, pr- potentially. So it kind of causes you to look at that family different, even from a plugged-in perspective.
2: Hmm.
4: I think for me, having done the job, I've, I've been doing this for about a dozen years now. And I think that the thing that strikes me now that I wasn't quite aware of when I started— was how many movies you really do have to pay me to see. (laughs) you know because you you look as as a teen as a as a movie lover as i am you think oh it's great to watch movies it's great to to actually get paid to do this thing but there are just a lot of really bad movies most of them probably (laughs) i mean
0: without being a hater yeah there's more bad movies than good movies i think i
4: mean i think that that most people would say even even really avid movie lovers they would probably say you know there's 20, 30 movies that we'd, I'd like to see this year. There are 700 movies that are typically released in every single year, and we watch not all wow. of them, but a lot of them. And so a lot of them just don't quite meet the standards that you'd like.
2: Hey, you know, kind of as the resident outsider here, you know, as, as the <laughs> one guy who's lucky enough to join this podcast but doesn't actually have to write plugged-in reviews, I'm curious. <laughs> you know, I've written movie reviews, you know, for our ministry for years and stuff, and I think the thing that got me, and I'm curious— if if this is for you i didn't expect the criticism um Mm. that like when you post a movie or something like that and people just have you know varied tastes so on one hand people be like i thought that film stunk or or how did you hate it i loved it yeah but even more so when it comes to doing christian reviews people that are like you know how could you dare think that that was had any positive elements and then they would quote you you know you know Philippians and 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 stuff. So I mean I don't know. Does that stuff yeah. Philippians four eight did, to be precise? Yeah, exactly four eight every time. So I don't know. Did that that's what really sometimes I felt the personal attacks were really hard for me. Was is that hard for you guys? You know I think it's it goes with the territory, and
0: I think the first time somebody really harshly comes after you, you're like, whoa, dude, it's a movie review, you know, chill out. But we live in you know, you might call it the Yelp age where we've all been trained to review and leave reviews of everything. Everybody's a critic. And everybody's a critic and we leave reviews of other people's reviews.
4: Yeah, and I also think that there's an element of these stories are important to us, right? And so when a story moves you deeply... Or when a story tells the exact opposite message that you want it to convey, so you hate it, you take that stuff really personally. And yeah. so when someone yeah, takes yeah. issue with your thought on a movie, it becomes that much more personal. And personal, so they're yeah. they're going to lash out a little bit more than you might expect.
0: That's right. And and that leads me to to my observation. I want to say two things about the process. Um you know, I joked in the intro about taking fifty pages of notes, and that might sound like hyperbole. For me, it's not. I will take I've taken as many as a hundred pages of notes. now, a page might be four lines of something scrawled (laughs) so badly that I have to go back and like get my hieroglyphic decoder out and reconstruct
2: what I wrote.
4: Uh You're bad for
0: the trees.
2: I'm bad for the trees. And granted it is post-it notes that you're taking. No, no, I have a a notebook, man. Um... Uh,
1: He's pretty close. I've seen your notebook.
2: (laughs) And, um,
0: For me, I would compare at least, and we're all a little bit different. We don't, no two of us do it exactly the same way. Not at all. For me, when I review a movie, I liken it to a track meet. I sit down, I have to get into the right frame of mind, and I write for two hours almost without stopping. And and that, it's, I'm wrung out physically by the time I get done reviewing a movie. And I don't think most people would think that.
1: No, I totally agree because I think when I first started this job, it took me about a month before – I thought I was going to develop Carpal Tunnel <laughs> yeah. with the notes that I was taking because the minute that the movie starts, mm. I my hand starts moving and it doesn't stop until the credits roll and sometimes not even then. Right, because like there's stuff in the scene. credits. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but yeah, no, when I um, – the first time that one of my friends saw me review a movie, they thought that I was being super extra and then I showed them my notes after and they were like – I didn't even notice right. like ninety nine percent of these things, and like you wouldn't because you haven't been trained to. Like right. I, I have to do this, otherwise I will not remember.
2: I've almost appreciated it better when I could preview the film twice because I'm like you guys. I sometimes I'm taking those notes, but I mean, let's be honest, it's it's really hard to multitask that well. There's times when your head is down taking notes and you miss something, and and I I really feel like I almost want to watch it the first time. And then take notes the second time, and I don't always have that privilege. I love it when someone sends me a screener because then I can do that because you right. can hit pause, yeah. you can do whatever. But when you're in the theater, you know, I'm almost like, okay, run it again. Yeah.
0: Well, when I get a screener, it can take me four to six hours to watch a movie because I have almost a complete transcript <laughs> of the screenplay by the time I get done.
3: <laughs> See, I yeah, don't. Sure. I don't take notes that way. When when I first started, I think I took a lot more than I do now. Um, in my head, I try to summarize things as I go along. I've started to kind of do it differently. So uh, as I'm watching, instead of every single detail, no, don't worry, I get all the details. Um, <laughs> You're I, fired. I just start, <laughs> I start to kind of do an outline of themes, whereas before I would state that theme specifically, now I start to kind of like outline themes. And that yeah. helps me in my like thinking process, which I think is the best part about the format that we have. Mm-hmm. And so uh, like to your point, When you guys were talking about uh, people taking our critiques or what we have to say very personally, I totally get that. But we're really writing for the format. Like We're going to put this stuff in these boxes so that you guys can look at this and see what you need to know for your family. And there
0: is, there's always a subjective element because there can't not be. But with our content grid, and so if you're not familiar with it, we do an overview of the story, positive elements, spiritual elements sex, violence, drugs, profanity, other negative elements, and then the conclusion, we really want those middle sections to be really as objective as they can be, that this is yeah. what we saw, this is what we heard, and we're not 100% perfect. I mean, like like Jonathan was saying, we missed out. And sometimes we have to go back and rewatch something. With quite a few things, with bigger movies, we usually have two sets of eyes on it, so we can say, you know, did you see this? Did you notice this? So that we get it right, uh, but we really strive to have that that objective sort of piece to it.
3: Well, I think I think to Jonathan's point, um, he was talking about feeling the critique. I think when as a as a reviewer, you're really trying, like you said, you're trying to be objective. So you're kind of looking at this from you know thirty thousand feet and kind of taking these notes. You don't have to feel it as much if you stay there. Mm-hmm. And so when you when when it's someone who's watching it and they're not taking notes, then you're not gonna be on the same like level as you're, you know, talking about this stuff. Does that make sense?
0: It does. And and that's a good segue into our next question, which is how do you deal with or try to protect yourselves from the difficult content That you're exposed to in the reviewing process how would you guys respond to that emily
1: it's kind of strange because it almost feels like you're desensitized but you're not you're actually more sensitive to it because you're picking up on every little detail there are movies again i have a degree in film i studied film from an aesthetic point of view when i was in college i would watch movies and i could justify oh they have to say the f word there because that's the character whatever now when i watch movies like Uncut Gems, which is the heavyweight champ for, oh, man. you know, curse words <laughs> for Plugged In. Like I counted, what was it? Over 500 F-words in that movie. An and in every amount. single one of them, I was like, this is not just the character. This is excessive. This and you really did words.
0: have carpal tunnel. I really did that in that one.
1: movie. No, that was a movie where I had more curse words than I did other content concerns. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, nah, but it's almost like you become more sensitive to it. And you just have to kind of pull yourself away from it and remind yourself, like, I'm doing this so that somebody else doesn't have to.
4: One thing that I tell people when they ask me this question is because I think that there there is some concern amongst people who we write for. How do you deal with it? How do you not let that desensitize yeah. you? How do you not let it wear on you? And I think for me, it's really a three-part process, Right. You do some research beforehand. You mm-hmm. pray beforehand. I right. think that that's a really key part of this process. And sometimes with pray. the
0: really heavy ones, we'll even pray together.
4: Exactly. Exactly. Because we know typically when there's going to be a movie that's, that's very difficult to watch, that we need to have, for lack of a better word, a, a special layer of protection. Right. Um, I agree. And I think that, that the process of, of during the movie, taking those notes, allows us to be slightly separate. We're paying very close attention to everything that's going on. Oh, yeah. But because we have almost that that pen and paper as a barrier between us and the screen, I think it allows us to keep a little bit of a distance. And then afterwards, the third part of this process, I think, is just talking about it. One Mm -hmm. of the things that I most value about our job is the ability to discuss the themes, the problems, the good points of a movie amongst our team.
2: You know... I think for me, you know, when I was reviewing films and all of a sudden I had to review, you know, a, you know, Martin Scorsese violent, you know, uh, <laughs> film that's, that's got lots of F words or whatever and stuff like that. I found that very often that wasn't something that was causing me to stumble. Cause I'm sitting there in a theater next to a guy taking 50 pages of notes right next to me, you know, and stuff like that, that for me, I'm usually not that that's not a stumbling point. I I think in all honesty, just being vulnerable, I really had to watch the choices I was making in my personal life because I think sometimes when we, uh, watch stuff, we think, you know, we almost go, well, I want to appreciate the artistic part of this. And sometimes we let things slide in our own life. And I know I did. And I sometimes was like, well, this is a really good show. So I'll just fast forward through those parts or whatever. And, um, I just, I've really come to a point where I've just had to pray and just be like, okay, God, I want to give this to you, and and it's changed what I've watched in programming, mm. and and I'm sure that could look different for different people because you know we joked about how people always you know go to the Philippians four or eight or whatever, but I mean for me, I mean honestly Psalm one thirty nine, I end up I you know I I just even tried to memorize and I constantly go to the you know search me God know my heart, yeah. test me and know my anxious thoughts see if there's any sinful way in me. And lead me in a way everlasting. And I I sometimes am praying that prayer throughout the day and saying, Okay, God, I want you to change my entertainment choices. And and for me on a personal level, it's been sometimes not watching that kind of Netflix show that seems to push the limits and I thought I'm okay with. And I realized, you know, for me, and I'm just speaking me personally, I, I don't think it's okay. Yeah. And so I'm I mean, like recently I'm on I'm on a binge re-watching monk you know, which is really innocent TV, you know, and I can relate to him because he's totally like me. But, uh, the, you know, uh, so, he so got beat me, up as a child, too, probably. He, he, pro- he probably did. But no, I mean, for me, though, it's really been saying, hey, just because I reviewed this stuff or whatever isn't an excuse to allow stuff in my own life. And I got to come before God. Uh, that's a great And point. bathe it in prayer and say, hey, let me let me give this to you. And uh, that's something that's, that's been a part of surrendering.
3: Yeah, Jonathan, I really like that. I think for me too, um, and to pull on everybody's point, I, I pray before I watch stuff. And I think different things affect different people Yeah, in, in different ways, right? So for me, I can sit back and review a movie with more sexual content and not be as affected, not to say that I'm not, whereas – a violent movie or something dealing with children is very difficult for me to watch. And so there are certain things that trigger. And I think I know myself, this is part of discernment, right? I think I know myself well enough to know, I know what's going to really bother me maybe for days. How do I handle this process? I might, You know, pray about it, step back and like Paul, to his point, talking about it is very helpful. Sometimes being able to just say like, hey, I saw this, this bothered me. What did you think about it? And then I can leave it there. And I I would say that for guys, um, maybe, maybe this isn't true, but you guys are naturally better at putting things on the shelf. Maybe in life and then maybe even in reviewing a movie. Maybe and then you we kind forget where we put it. <laughs> <laughs> but that's diff- that's more difficult for me. And so I can feel a lot of things about a movie, which is why having the format that we have allows me to be objective. And that's really good.
4: One of the things that I think is great about our team is that we're so tight-knit, and I think we have a really good awareness of exactly what you're talking about, Kristen, that that sense of where are our strengths, where are our weaknesses, what are we particularly sensitive to? And I think that, that because of that, we're able to sort of balance that out. Uh, we're able to keep some people off of certain movies that might bother them more than others. Yeah. Um, but I also think that it's a really valid point to bring up in this context, because I think when you watch movies, you tend to think of yourself as being sort of immune to the content. And as I've been in this job, I think I probably started off this job thinking that I was immune to more stuff than I was. Oh, yes, same. Mm. Yeah. And, and I think that we have to be very, very aware of, of our own strengths and weaknesses and know when we might be lying to ourselves about yeah. this sort of stuff.
0: And I think that there's always freedom if an assignment is made to say, you know what, for this reason, or you don't even have to have a reason, I'm not comfortable reviewing this. And I know I've been here almost 17 years and, or maybe even more than that, enough years that I can't remember. Um, And there've been a handful of times where I went to the person who was assigning that, who's no longer on our team and said, I don't really want to do this one. And, And I think that there are, Times And I know a couple of you have had, it doesn't happen very often. Um, and as I make assignments, I try to keep these things in mind. It's sort of like we're all willing to do everything, but I'm aware as the one making assignments of where some of those vulnerabilities are. And, and we work around that as a team. And I think especially with some of the, the really harsh stuff we've done, I can remember a few times over the years where we have prayed afterward too. Um, and, and another very strange thing that I think ironically protects us is that we review so much stuff that it sort of doesn't have long to just sit there that's and, very true. and marinate. Yeah. Yeah. Most of us write five or six pieces a week and you get it out. And there's something about taking your notes, which was sort of a clinical experience to begin with. I liken mm-hmm. it almost to being a cultural anthropologist. And, and maybe that's just me wanting to feel more important than I am. But <laughs> but you're taking notes from a distance. There's a clinical remove there and, you know, when you're writing down graphic descriptions about things happening, it's it's kind of weird. But then you look at your notes, you put the notes in the review, and you keep moving. And I think yeah, there's a strange it's therapeutic. protection in that. It's, it's therapeutic. It's yeah.
1: therapeutic to almost write about it and put it on or Not just put it on paper, but take it from the pages, from our notes, and put it, you know, typing it out, like you said, in that almost clinical sense because you're – It's almost like we're giving other people warnings so that they don't have to experience the same thing we experience. So even when it does hit us hard, I think there's something about the review process and why we do what we do that almost makes it easier. Because it's like, you know what? This wasn't about me. This was about our readers. This is about our viewers. and Right. Such.
0: Well, and that leads me to my next question. And, and we're going to have to land the plane after this question. But it's an important one. It's one we get all the time. And that's why do you even bother reviewing R-rated movies? And th- we get people who say, you know, doesn't the rating tell you everything you need to know without you seeing it? And so I'm interested how you guys want to respond to that question.
2: I would simply respond, well, I don't know. I really wanted to review Passion of the Christ. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> oh.
3: okay. No, he's unplanned. He's lame, though. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think with the R rating, I have seen enough movies at this point to have said that I've watched PG-13 movies that should have been rated R in my mind. Yep. Way
2: worse. Yes, exactly. Oh,
3: yeah. And it's not to say that one of the R rated films that had, you know, a few curse words wasn't where it needed to be. But sometimes that's the only reason that's why it's there. And then you have a PG-13 movie that has like a ton of sexual content, a ton of violence, things that really bother me that I'm thinking this pushed the limits way more than this like indie R-rated film did. Yep, I agree.
4: I think another point that we have to bring up here is that... Our audience, our predominantly Christian audience, they are going to see these R-rated movies. When you look at the studies, uh, most Christians see R-rated movies as much as as a secular audience would. When they are seeing those movies, I think we have to, as reviewers, speak into their lives a little bit for these movies. Um, We might not necessarily always persuade them to not see a bad movie, but having what we think about that movie on on screen, I think can help inform them about what how to think about it a little bit.
3: Yeah, and I think I mean I was raised from a really young age that R meant completely (laughs) It meant completely off limits. Like there must be something horrific in this movie. No one should watch it. And that's often the case, don't get me wrong, but sometimes it's not. And what happens when you give a pass to all PG thirteen movies, but you don't give the pass to the R rated movie that could have been in that in that area. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I think looking at this and, and taking, taking notes and putting it out there and letting people decide is the point.
2: I I think I've always kind of reversed that question when it came to me and and I, I don't want to be defensive. I really want to be humble because I understand that maybe somebody, if I've got a believer who's legitimately concerned and saying, Hey, are you sure you're not exposing yourself to something you don't want to expose yourself to? In that case, I really want to be able to receive that. But I think to me, the thing, that I very often will do is uh, I'll ask the opposite question, which is who says that the rating system, this is honestly the world's rating system. This isn't a biblical rating system, R, PG. Who says that PG is okay? You know, right. Instead of saying, why do you watch R? I I would almost say, well, why do you say that PG 13 is okay? Because, because sadly, I think there's so many parents out there. And I remember, you know, been doing this a long time. And I remember I used to do parent workshops where, but uh, pre Spotify, when everything was iTunes, there was a lot of Christian parents out there that would say, Hey, as long as you download a song, it doesn't have explicit lyrics. And, and that was kind of their rating system. Yeah. And so there were some really decent songs out there that might have dropped, like thematically decent, but dropped uh, a curse word. And then there were songs that were complete, irresponsible, gratuitous trash mm-hmm. that didn't have any bad words. And Christian parents were like, well, that's okay, because we're using the world's rating system. And I think we need to be careful not to use the world's rating system, but use biblical standards.
4: When you're talking about what we do at Plugged In, I think one of our primary duties is to help people think about the entertainment they are consuming. Yes. And that means going beyond, I think, the ratings. Yeah. Um, I love your point, Jonathan, because you see it in in movies as well. You see movies that are R-rated for their violence, their blood. Those are very, very serious concerns that parents and anybody who's watching movies should take Mm -hmm. a very, very close stock of. But then you look at a PG-13 movie that maybe sanitizes some of those issues, makes violence not look as serious as it is. There's problems with that, too. Right. And and our purpose at Plugged In is not to tell you how you have to think
0: about this stuff. Yeah. Our purpose is to give you the information you need to make the best decision you can for your family. Or, you know, maybe you're, you know, Johnny or Jill went to somebody's house for a sleepover and— yeah they come back and said, mommy, mommy, we watched this great show about dragons. It's called Game of Thrones. You know, we can be really, really disciplined in our own homes and our kids still have an opportunity and probably a likelihood Mm -hmm. of being exposed to stuff. And so we exist to help you think through it on the front end and maybe on the back end that you have the information you need to really, you know, to sort through that. Well, I think that being a part of the plugged-in team at times is as exciting and as cool as you might think it would be. Like, you know, you get to see a Star Wars movie three weeks before anybody else, or not three weeks usually, maybe two days, but (laughs) two very important bragging rights days. Oh, yeah. Other times it's harder than you think, and I think hopefully listening to our conversation today has made you think, wow, I never thought about that before. I never knew you guys had to sort through that. Uh, And most of the time I think – the stuff we review is somewhere in between. You know, there may be some hard things, there's some good things, and we're trying to sort through how we communicate those things to you. And that is the reason that Plugged In exists to sift through everything that's buzzworthy in popular culture these days so that you don't have to. We want to give you and your family all the information you need to make a wise decision about whatever entertainment offering you might be considering. And in the coming weeks, you can look out for some new ways that we're going to be serving you, especially as it relates to YouTube and popular technology apps. Plugged In is also a part of Focus on the Family, and we're here to help your family thrive spiritually, emotionally, and relationally. One new resource we have to equip and encourage parents in this area is Focus on the Family Vice President Danny Huerta's new book, The Seven Traits of Effective Parenting. And today, for a gift of any amount to focus on the family, we would love to send you a copy of Danny's book as a thank you for being part of the Plugged In Show family. So just follow the link on the episode page to our blog entry on this podcast, where you'll also find links to the other things that we've talked about on today's show. And you know, if there's anything else you'd like to talk with us about today, whether it's this show, an idea you might have, or maybe you just saw Jaws for the first time and you were inspired to write a a Jaws haiku or limerick shoot us an email (laughs) at team at thepluggedinshow.com and we might even read it in an upcoming podcast. Be sure to check us out on Facebook and Instagram as well. On behalf of our esteemed Plugged In team, I want to say thanks so much for listening today. And we look forward to connecting with you again next week for another episode of the Plugged In Show.